right, you getting it a little better? All right. Let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to the uh, Gospel of Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 11. Uh, Mark chapter 11 is uh, where we're going to be. So we're going to take a quick recap here um, to begin with. Last week we, we've talked about these sections and so the first part of the Gospel of Mark is about Jesus' Galilean ministry. And we see Jesus doing these miracles and uh, these teachings and everything else. And we call that Act 1 of the Gospel of Mark. And so where we concluded last week is this second section of the Gospel of Mark, what we call Act 2. And this is when Jesus is marching to Jerusalem. And, and he's, he's coming down from the Galilean area and he's... he's, he's coming uh, towards Jerusalem, and, and this is all exciting because Jerusalem and the kingdom is what this next section is going to be about. Uh, and let's just talk about Jerusalem for a moment. Uh, as we said, Jesus has spent his time up here. Uh, we really don't hear about uh, Jesus going to Jerusalem in the Gospel of Mark, do we? The only thing we hear is about those who came to Galilee from Jerusalem. And they had ulterior motives, which, which we have seen as well. And even though we've known through this second act that Jesus is marching towards Jerusalem, it's only mentioned twice, and it's in one section. And that was with Jesus giving the third prediction of his, of his death and resurrection. So other than that, it doesn't even mention the word Jerusalem. So, but we know this is, this is where we've been going. Um, and so it is depicted as we've seen here and as they're marching as a fearful place. It, this is a place where people are not agreeing with Jesus. They want to stop Jesus. But it is the city of David. And it makes sense that the one that Bartimaeus referred to as the son of David will come to the city of David. Jesus must come here. He must come to his temple. And he, must, he must present himself. So they're, they're nearing Jerusalem, and they come to this area, and it mentions, and we'll see this all in just a minute, it mentions Bethany and Bethphage. Uh, and the reason these are mentioned, Bethany is where Jesus and his disciples are going to stay during this week. Um, Bethphage is the place that's right here by the Mount of Olives. It's, it's all a part of that area, and we are supposed to be at the Mount of Olives. That's where the focus is going to be. Now let's talk about the Mount of Olives for just a second. It is a place um, that is uh, 300 feet above Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is 2,600 feet above sea level. So it rises even higher than Jerusalem. And some things that we can note from the past, this is a place where, G, where God has been worshipped. This is a place where David had went after Absalom came in, if you remember that. After the fall of Jerusalem in 586 B.C., Ezekiel had this vision of the glory of the Lord departing Jerusalem on this chariot throne. And he departs and he settles at the east, on the east, 
Uh, that's very important. We'll, we'll talk more about this, especially in worship. But, but this is where he goes, to the east side, that is to the, the Mount of Olives. And the rabbis, Josephus even, speaks about uh, this is going to be a place where, or, or actually this is Zechariah. Zechariah predicts this is going to be the place of final judgment. Uh, and then the rabbis and Josephus, they saw the, the Mount of Olives as being associated with the coming of the Messiah. Now Mark, we know this, Mark is very brief. He is always to the point. He doesn't give us a whole lot of details. And very rarely does he give us place names. He makes sure that we understand this place name. And so what we're supposed to do with Mark is we're to focus on what we are told. And I think that is very important as we come to this because here the Mount of Olives is seen as a place um, of messianic concern. So let's get, let's get moving into this. We are ready to start this third section of the Gospel of Mark. Everything has been leading to Jerusalem, right? And so somebody read for us the first six verses. All right. Are you feeling the tension building? You, you should be if you understand what's been happening. Jesus has been marching to Jerusalem. Now all of a sudden there's these things that are happening. Everything is changing in this ministry of Jesus. I don't know if you're catching this. What you're not going to see in this section, Jesus is not going to do a lot of private teaching as before. He's not going to tell people to, you know, be quiet. Don't tell people who I am. In fact, you're going to find right the opposite. The miracles that have been associated with Jesus throughout this, this whole time so far, they're all of a sudden just going to really become obsolete. Um, in fact, the last miracle in the Gospel of Mark we're going to see next week, and it's, it's really an odd miracle of Jesus. And so here he is, um, from the Mount of Olives, Jesus sends these two unidentified disciples down into the village. We don't know who those disciples are. <laughs> we don't know exactly which village it is, whether it's Bethany or Bethphage, we, he just doesn't tell us. Um, we don't know how all of this was set up. We don't know if, you know, this person that they, he's sending them to, if they are a follower of Jesus, if Jesus has set something up beforehand, or whether this is all supernatural that's happening here. It, Mark doesn't tell us, but he does tell us details, and we focus on the details. And one of the details is he goes down to get what? What does he tell them to bring? A colt. And that word colt uh, in the Hebrew... It is, can be a young horse or a donkey. In this particular section of the world, the donkey is, uh, and even with the Jews, that would be probably more fitting as to what happens here uh, in, this, in this text. Now, this is different, isn't it? This is different than anything Jesus has done before. Jesus has walked everywhere with the exception of a couple of boat rides, right, across the, the Sea of Galilee. Do we have any record at all of Jesus riding an animal and and now it's like Jesus has made it this 2600 feet <laughs> or more than that you know from Jericho which is 800 feet below sea level to 2600 feet above sea level but now when everything's downhill <laughs> you know if you're on a bicycle 
you're like, man, I can't wait till I hit the downward spout, right? And that's when Jesus gets on a donkey or gets on a colt. So this is unusual. And it's also unusual as the type of donkey or colt that he's asked for. What is it? Never been ridden. A colt never ridden. Now why do you think this was, this was a detail that's put in here? <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not up for riding a, getting on a donkey that's never been ridden before. But, but there's, a, there's a significant purpose for this. What would be the purpose? What, it, what is Mark trying to point out to us? Kings. Kings did not ride animals that had been ridden. And even the Mishnah will tell you that none may even ride his horse. In fact, the mission is really interesting, even though it's not a part of the canon of Scripture. But he <laughs> says, none may sit on his throne, or none may make use of his scepter, none may see him when his hair is being cut, or when he's naked, or when he's in the bathhouse, for it says, you shall set a king upon himself, and, and so forth. But it's really fascinating when you read some of these things that they wrote. But one of them is, no one rides the horse, the colt, the donkey of a king. Okay, so, so that's, that's the one thing that we're going to see here. Uh, it was considered sacred. And, and he said something else about the cult, some details. When they get there, how are they going to find the cult? He's tied up, right? And what do they tell him? Untie. Now again, we're dealing with Mark. Mark doesn't give details. We would think, you know, I wish Jesus would tell us, or Mark would have told us that this is supernatural, them going down there. Why didn't he tell us who the disciples are? Instead, he tells us there's going to be a cult, he's tied up, and you untie it. That seems like common sense, right? And it's like, well, what is that about? This goes back to Genesis. This is a messianic prophecy. And one of the things it talks about is bringing his foal to the vine and his donkey colt to the choice vine. This is where it will be tied up. Okay? So that's another thing. Now, what happens if they get there and they're going to untie this colt and people come up and, or someone comes up to him and say, hey, what are you doing? Okay, the Lord has need of it. And what we find here is entitlement. Who are entitled people in the kingdom? Or the most entitled person in the kingdom? It's a king. king can ask his subjects of anything if he has need of it. The difference with Jesus is, he says, I'll bring it back. <laughs> These kings wouldn't have done that. But Jesus is showing forth this entitlement that he has. And it's all pointing to this. Jesus is the messianic king he's the one who's coming all these details details mark you see this mark is giving details we we are supposed to sit up and pay very close attention to this all right so you get a sense of what is going on let's keep reading somebody read for us verses 7 through 10 
All right. The book of Zechariah. Folks, the, the prophets are just lit up with this stuff that's happening here. Zechariah chapters 9 through 11, it speaks of the coming Messiah King. And one of the things that it says there, see if this sounds familiar at all. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, that's Jerusalem. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. And what does it say? He's humble, he's mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Do you think this has any, anything to do with what's happening here? has everything to do with it. it, it they're, they're supposed to see these prophecies and to know this is the one who's coming. But we also find some more kingly language. Because, okay, so Jesus is ready to get on the colt. What do they do? Yeah, they take their cloaks, their outer garment, and they place it on the donkey so Jesus can get on. And then what do they do? Then they, yeah, they put the cloaks on the road. And what else? Does it say palm branches? Yeah, yeah. Um, John is the only one who mentions palms. Uh, the, the actual translation there is it's a leafy branch. Okay? I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, belittle your thought on this. It's just, it's just interesting how Mark puts this and John will put these are palm branches and everything else. But guess what? This is messianic as well, or kingly. Does anybody know anything in the Old Testament that gives it? Remember the king Jehu? Jehu, when he is anointed as king over Israel, every man took his garment, put it under on, on the bare steps, and they blew the trumpet and they proclaimed, Jehu is king. You don't, you don't take your cloaks, your coats, or whatever. You don't just put them on the dirty ground for your family, for your friends. We love them. We might carry them. This is what you do for kings, okay? This is what, this is what you do um, for kings. So, Jesus has come to the holy city, Right? And he is encouraging public rejoicing. Is this different than what we've seen with Jesus? Yes. He's trying to rush people out before. Now it's time. It's time. And, and what time of the year is it? Festival-wise. Passover. What was Passover about? Okay, death passed over. The celebration itself was a celebration of freedom. It was a celebration of hope. Um, there's the lamb who is sacrificed. Its blood is used for death to pass over, of course. We'll get in more into that type of thing later. But folks, all of these things are happening. All of these things are happening. And they're shouting what? Hosanna! Whoops. So they shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. And what does Hosanna mean? Yes, save. Save. Save we pray. Save I pray. That's what it means. Hosanna. So Jesus, you're getting this, right? He's coming down on a colt that's never been ridden. They're untying it. There's this entitlement of Jesus saying, the Lord has need of this. They're laying down their cloaks and these branches. It's, it's closing into Passover. And by the way, the Jews, many of the Jews believed that the Messiah would come at Passover. They're, they're shouting these hosannas. So, and this, this, let's look at this word for just a second, hosanna. Um, hosanna is used during a cycle of prayers during the Feast of Tabernacles, or what sometimes called as the Feast of Booths, or if you want to get the technical term, it's the, the Feast of Sukkot, something like that. And it, it's a Thanksgiving kind of thing uh, that happens in the fall. But once a day during the feast, worshipers, they walk around the altar of God, and they say this, save now. Here's our word. Save now, we beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, O Lord, send now prosperity. And on the seventh day, guess what they do? They march around the altar how many times? <laughs> seven times. Does that sound familiar? They march around seven times and they, they repeat this. And so the Hosanna ritual is combined uh, with the idea of praising God for victories over the armies, the nations, and also it is a sympathetic prayer for God to save them okay so so get this in your mind it's very important because we're trying to get into the mindset of the people who are saying this now where does this Hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord does anyone know where it comes from because it's not something they just suddenly created and it's not something that came out of the Mishnah the Psalms in one of what is known as the Hallel Psalms of Psalm 118, 25, and 26. So what does he say? Save us, we pray. O Lord, O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You see this, right? And a Hallel, by the way, we use that word Hallel, it means Thanksgiving. Okay? And the word save us in Hebrew is Hosanna. That's where Hosanna comes from. This psalm develops as each verse in, in this Psalm 118 Hillel as it, as it unfolds. So it begins with a priest who's outside the temple. And he calls out, he says, oh, give thanks to Yahweh. And he tells us why. He's good. And because his steadfast love, that's his hesed that we talk about in here sometimes, his grace endures forever. And typical of a, a in worship, of, of the temple there would be this call and then there would be a response from the people and they say three three times his his hesed endures forever his steadfast love endures forever his steadfast love endures forever now in order for them to have a thanksgiving this is typical of thanksgiving psalms when there is a thanksgiving that means there had been a distress and this is where the thanksgiving comes out of. So the psalmist, in verse 5, he says, Out of distress, we called you. Out of distress. And, and I want to show you, this is, you want to see some neat stuff about Hebrew? This is, just, this is extra. 
won't cost you another dime, okay? So here, look at the way it's written. It says, out of my distress, this is the English Standard Version, out of my distress, I called on Yahweh. Yahweh answered me and set me free. It's Hebrew poetry that says, from the narrow place, I called Yah. Yah answered me with a broad place. That may not do anything for you, but when I read that, I'm like, oh, man, that's so good. Okay. I wish they would, I wish the translators would just put that little note down at the bottom for us so we could see stuff like that. It's just so, so cool. But anyway, so there was this threat of the nations, and they have taken refuge in the God of Israel, and he has delivered. And they bring forth this, this victory song, and they, they sing of his strength, of God's salvation, um, and all that the Lord has done. And the psalmist, uh, or they give thanks, at the gates of the temple precincts. The gates of the temple precincts are the gates of the righteous. That's what it was considered. Who is the one who can come and enter the temple, and enter the temple, the gates of the temple? It is the righteous. And so here it, it speaks of this, and then it says in verse 25, you ever heard this before? This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And these pleas and what we, they have taken and used here in Mark as Jesus is coming down is this Hallel, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and it shows that this is a day of reversal. That's why the Hallel is there, is there was a reversal. There was a distress, there was an enemy, there was something, and they give praise to God because he has come, and he has come to reverse, to bring them out of a narrow place into the broad place. The Messiah has come it is a time of rejoicing and here they are they're rejoicing in verse 9 now verse 10 does not come from the Hillel it doesn't even come from the Psalms but if you notice what they said here uh, in, in fact let me just um, there, there is a second blessing that we find here blessed and that word blessed is used twice just to show you what it means it means to ask God to bestow to find divine favor on and so here the second blessed uh is in this this actually verses 9 and 10 are in a chiastic form you remember us talking about this before and here's the the chiastic form it's this is when it wants to focus on something hosanna blessed is the one who comes blessed is the coming hosanna if you look at the greek they're the exact same words in the greek even though those two middle b's we translate them out these two different ways. They're exact, these are the exact same uh, blessed of coming. Okay? So that's, that's what's happening here. There is this great blessed of coming. So the first was blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And what is this second blessed? Coming kingdom. What kingdom were they thinking of? Kingdom of David. Yeah, isn't that what they say? Blessed is the coming 
of our father David. And so let me just give you a little bit of history here. It's so important to understand that intertestament history. 200 years um, before all of this, Judas Maccabeus, he defeated the Syrian king. Okay, that was a very big deal. The Syrian king was evil. He had, consec- he had uh, defiled the temple. He had poured pig blood over the altar of God. They set up idols into the temple itself. And so when Judas Maccabeus comes into Jerusalem after this king uh, Antonio Ephenes or something of that effect, when he, after he's been defeated, he comes into Jerusalem and he cleanses the temple and he rededicates the temple, rebuilds parts of it because it's been, it's, you know, has been used in a terrible thing. And the people in this, this cleansing, in this rebuilding, this re-sanctification of the temple, the people come, according to 1 Maccabees 13 and 51, they enter with this praise and palm branches. That sound familiar? And so what's great about this is finally the temple is being used for its purpose. It had been, it had been um, you know, corrupted and all of this type of thing. And, and even though that the kings of Israel were no longer there, they were carted off into captivity, the Maccabees became the kings. And they, were, they ruled as kings for about 100 years, starting with Judas Maccabeus and I think maybe uh, John and then Aristobulus and Aristobulus II, and, and, and then it goes down to the Herods, which comes out of Marymain, who was a part of Aristobulus of the Maccabean lineage, and then we have the Herods and everything else. Fun, 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 right? Boring. But either way, the story is told about what happened in this time in 2 Maccabees, chapter 10, and really the first nine verses. But here, listen to what it says. Now, Maccabeus and his followers, the Lord leading them on, recovered the temple in the city, they tore down the altars, they destroyed the sacred precincts, they purified the sanctuary, they made another altar of sacrifice, uh, and they, they did a purification of the sanctuary, they're bearing ivy wreaths and wreathed wands and beautiful branches and also fronds of palm, and they offered hymns of thanksgiving to him who had given success in the purifying of his own house. You see all of these things that's been happening He's riding down on a colt, all these, this entitlement, the cloaks, the branches, is Passover time, they're shouting the Hosanna from the Hallel of Thanksgiving, there's this reversal, the king has come, the messianic king has come. You see this, Mark makes sure that if you had any idea um, of the Old Testament, which they were just, they were saturated in then you're going to get this. The problem is how they saw the kingdom. The kingdom of God is what was spoken of by Mark on a couple of occasions. We know that this is why Jesus has come, the kingdom of God. And you say, well, aren't these two two the same? Well, really they are, but they aren't. They aren't in the sense that the kingdom of God is eternal. But as the the Jews at that particular time, and a lot of their thinking comes out of the time of the Maccabees, out of that intertestament period and their expectation, 
they saw the kingdom of David as being nationalistic, political. That it's going to rise up and they are going to, um, um, to dominate or defeat the enemies or the nations who are the enemies, especially, you know, as they would have seen it, Rome. And when he comes and this, this king comes, he's, it's, he's going to reestablish the kingdom like it was in the time of David and the time of Solomon. But Jesus is trying to show them all along in marching to Jerusalem, he's been trying to show them that his kingdom that he brings is different. That it is eternal, it's not a temporary nationalistic thing. He's not come to dominate the nations. What has he come to do for the nations? Save the nations. Can you see how there's conflict with this? They're thinking, they're right. The Messianic king comes through the line of David. But they were wrong in what they thought or the type of kingdom they thought was coming. See, that's the problem. So, they still are struggling. Uh, but even so, everything has been building. Jesus up on the Mount of Olives. He's coming down. He's riding on that cult, the kingly cult. And they're shouting these hallelujahs. He's coming into Jerusalem. Are you ready for this? The Messianic king, he's coming into Jerusalem to all of this fanfare. Jesus is not rejecting it. He is encouraging it. And he comes to the temple. And let's read verse 11. Somebody. That's it? You know, you almost get this, you know, you hear this, uh, you know, here he comes. You hear this shouting, and then you just, this is so anticlimactic, folks. So he, the Son of God comes to his home away from home, really, the temple. This is the place where God had dwelled. They lost the ark. But, but God has come back to the temple. He's here in the very presence of Jesus Christ. And he walks in, looks around, looks at his watch, sandal, and then heads back. Two miles back to Bethany. And what happened? Malachi told us, this is a 400-year-old prophecy, folks. And it's being fulfilled right here. And, and it says he's going to suddenly come to his temple. Jesus has suddenly come to the temple. Now, look at the first part of Malachi 3. See if this sounds familiar at all. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Does that sound familiar at all? John the baptizer. That goes all the way back to the, to the very second verse of the Gospel of Mark. And he's speaking about John the baptizer as the one who is preparing the way. John has come. Jesus has now suddenly come to the temple. Right? So Mark drew us into all of these traditional messianic symbols... And then he suddenly aborts them. Now here's the question. Why? 
Jesus is heads out from the Temple Mount and goes to Bethany, two miles away. Just leaves. And it's like, what, what is happening here? And this is the beauty of the writers. And each writer, while they tell the same stories, they tell them in a different fashion. And here is Mark. And guess what? Shocker, there's more than, there's more than meets the eye. <laughs> Mark is setting us up as to what is about to happen. Okay? Mark leaves us in suspense. And over the next few chapters, he is going to show us what Jesus was talking about at the end of, of Mark 10, where he's telling them that he's not coming as a ruler of the gen like the Gentiles are who lorded over others or like these other lords out here who are kings and everything else. He says he's coming as a servant. And he says he's a slave of all. And in the Son of Man, at the very end, he says he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's what his kingdom is based on. So it's not the kind of kingdom that Israel or the world was used to. Jesus came to the temple that day to inspect it. He did not come to sit on a throne in the temple. It prepares us for what is about to happen because Jesus is not coming to restore the temple like Judas Maccabeus. Jesus has come to pronounce judgment on the temple. And that absolutely blows people's minds. And when we get into next week, you're going to see it, see how all of this is going to, uh, to shake itself out. Let's go back to the Malachi prophecy for a second where he just said he's going to suddenly come to the temple. The next two verses tell us this. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. 